Girls, if you'll meet us here at the front doors, we'll let you be dismissed to the children's revival service. And God bless all you boys and girls for being here. We will start tonight in Ephesians 6. If you'd like to take your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, it's a Thursday night. We've had a good week together, and uh, it's our final night. I'm so glad you all have joined us again. And a lot of you have been here every service, and uh, God bless you for it. We're glad. We're delighted that you were here every service. And the Lord's worked in our hearts, hasn't he? And he's spoken to us, and it's been our privilege to be with you again. I thank you to all of you ladies that have made meals for us this week. You've been so kind to us and so gracious to us, and we're very grateful for that. All the meals have just been super. And uh, Pastor Wells, it's been good to be with you again. I'm so grateful for your kindness to us and the privilege to serve with you again. Uh, what a blessing that is. And it's been a good day, and it's been a good week. And I hope you'll pray for us. Will you do so? Uh, we'll leave here in the morning. We're going to head up to Ohio. My wife's going to spend a few days with her mom. And that'll be a, an encouragement to mom and an encouragement to my wife as well. And then me and the boys are heading to Michigan and we'll do a revival campaign next week. Then we go to Kentucky, and then we go from Kentucky, we go down to Alabama, then we go to Nevada, then we go to California, and uh, then we'll go to Indiana, and uh, just a lot of traveling these next few months, and I hope you'll pray for us. Would you do so? You'll pray for us, won't you? You saw my RV, didn't you? Did you see my RV? Uh, home's where you park the trailer, so next time you see an RV, what you got to think is, you know, Brother Young has one of those, and you got to, I need to pray for him. She need to pray for me. You'll see an RV. When you see an RV, think Brother Young and pray for me. Would you do that? I drive a red Dodge Ram. Did y'all see my truck? Isn't that a nice truck? Boy, the Lord loves me, doesn't he? And uh, next, time, next time you see a red pickup truck, think Brother Young has one of those and pray for me. Would you do that? Uh, just whatever it takes to remind you, then you do it. When you see a good-looking guy walking down through Hillsville, uh, just uh, think, I need to pray for Brother Young. Would you do that? And ask the Lord to bless us, take care of us. We travel many miles, and it's an honor to serve the Lord, but we certainly depend on Him all the time for our needs. Now, let's review a little bit. I'll preach to you one last sermon. Our time will be gone. On Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, I preached to you from the book of Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. And we spent the whole day talking about seven vital ingredients to a Christian home. And the Lord spoke to us Sunday. We we covered a lot of territory in both those services. I hope you uh, allow the Lord to speak to your heart. In the last few nights, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we've been really talking our way through Ephesians, and we've talked about how that it's important for me and you to have the Christian life we ought to have and to apply that to our family. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment briefly. Last night, we, we got into chapter 5 on the part about husbands and wives, Wives are to submit to their husbands, husbands are to love their wives, husbands are to lead in the home, and wives are to follow, husbands to meet his wife's emotional needs by loving her, caring for her, cherishing her, and the wife is supposed to meet her husband's needs by reverencing him, building him, encouraging him. The Bible works. Did you all know that? And no matter your situation, the Bible works. And here's what I find in a lot of our family conferences. A lot of people will say, well, you know, that's good for so-and-so, but our family's not like that. We're a blended family, somebody will say. Or I'm just a single mom. Or I'm just a single dad. But I want to tell you, the Bible works in every situation you're facing, every one of them. You got a blended family, the Bible still works. I'm telling you, it's the truth. You got a blended family, the Bible still works. Because what a man's got to do is be a Christian, even in a blended family. And a wife's got to be a Christian, even in a blended home. And we still got to train the children, even in a blended family. 
and we got to communicate. There's some little issues that I would never have to face that you might have to face in a blended family, but the Bible's still true. Y'all believe that, don't you? And don't, don't let anything stop your marriage. You say, well, you haven't faced what we've had to face. Well, maybe I haven't, but the Bible's still true, and you apply the Bible to your situation, and God will bring healing to your marriage. Now, it won't happen overnight. Nothing happens like this. God, God rarely, rarely does it like that. You find out then that a family is a process. It takes a time. Our, God's a lot more comfortable with time than we are. We want it now. We've got a problem in this marriage. Let's fix it right now. It's what we want. But God works in a process of time, and he's okay with that. Remember when the children of Israel were praying for a deliverer. God, you got to set us free from the Philistines. We need help. God answered their prayer and gave Hannah a baby named Samuel. Gave her a baby, which meant he couldn't do a thing for about 20 years. Now they took him down to the temple, and he was trained by Eli. But when God answered that prayer, it was a 20-year answer because he started with a baby. It's just how God works in the family. You got problems in your marriage? Then take some steps. Take some steps. Take one today, one tomorrow, one the next day, and keep taking steps and keep growing. God can heal your marriage. And you got problems in your family? Same thing is going to be true. And I want you to leave this revival knowing God's concerned about you and your children and your grandchildren. He's on your side. You know that? He wants your home to succeed. He wants your marriage to succeed. And believe that with all of your heart. If I do nothing else this week, I hope I give you some faith. To believe, I can have a good marriage, believe it. I can be a godly man, believe it. I can serve the Lord as a godly wife and a godly mom. Believe that, grandmothers, you can be a godly grandmother, influence your grandchildren. You say, but they're so far off and I'm getting older and I don't have patience with them anymore. Well, then ask God to help you with that and impact your grandchildren. You're called of God to do that. Am I, am I okay tonight? I haven't even read my text yet and I'm already preaching. But uh, you, need, you need to believe. Leave here believing that you can have a godly home and a godly marriage and a godly family and God can use you because that's exactly the truth. Now, I'm in Ephesians chapter 6, and tonight we've got to talk one more sermon here, one more message in this family revival about raising children. And chapter 6 goes right from marriage naturally into raising children. And so here's what he says in these four verses. You know them, don't you? Chapter 6, verse 1, you all know it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We taught our kids that beginning on day one of their life. They came home. They were born that night. We're putting them in bed. Give them a little bath, you know. They eat. We're putting them in bed. We take their little hands in ours. Pick up their their little fingers. They don't know what we're saying. Hold their little hands. And we quoted this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We did it the second day and the third day and the first week and the second week and the first month and the second month. And we said this verse every single night till they could all say it out loud by themselves. Abby never quite got it at first because she was our oldest. And she would say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are right. But that's not what it says. It says, this is right. And then in verse 2, he says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prosper on the earth. Have you noticed that showed up Deuteronomy Sunday? Remember that? One of the lessons we learn in Deuteronomy is that God wants it to be well with you. Remember that? God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. He wants it to be well. He wants there to be prosperity in your marriage and with your children. The charismatic movement's got us all, all, all mixed up about this. We get the idea that God's blessings is driving a, a Lincoln Town Car or Corvette or living in a three-story mansion. 
And there's nothing wrong with a blessing. Sometimes God gives people the money, uh, the ability to make wealth. God blesses some people that way. But you know, there are some blessings far greater than a nice car to drive. Did you all know that? There's some blessings far greater than that. I may have already brought this up, but you ought to think this way. I got an Abigail. She's 20. She'll be 22 in a few days. My sweetheart. And I'd rather have a good, godly husband for that girl than a three-story house any day. See, there's some blessings more important than the house you live in. There's some blessings more important than the car you drive. God wants it to be well with you. He wants it to be well with your family, your children, and your grandchildren. And he, he, he reminds us of that here in verse 3. And then in verse 4, he addresses parents and specifically daddies. How many daddies in the building? Raise your hand if you're a daddy. Let me see you, daddy. He's going to talk to you right now. And he says, and you fathers, no, he's not ignoring you mothers, but since he taught us in chapter 5 that a husband is the lead in the home, he especially starts with daddies here. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Did you know it's God's plan for your home that you raise your children for the Lord? Did you know that? It's God's plan that your children turn out well. That's God's plan that your grandchildren turn out well. That's God's desire for you. That's what he's talking about here. So he says, now look, Daddy, don't you anger your children. Don't provoke your kids to wrath. Parents, we're good at that today. We're so busy. We're inconsistent. And one moment we'll come down like I'm talking about a heavy hammer, and the next moment we'll let them get by with murder. We're inconsistent. That angers them. That provokes our kids to wrath. And sometimes instead of parenting today, we just harass them. I, I, I find that so. And have you ever have you noticed how easy it is in our generation for parents not to demand immediate obedience, but to let the kid find out how far they can go? There's nothing wrong with this, perhaps. I, I mean, I don't want to be mean to somebody, but sometimes in our generation, we we've been taught that well, you give the kid time to think about it, and so you count. You know, one, twelve, ninety-seven. And, and hoping that eventually, you know, my parents never did that. My dad would say, all right, son, do it. If you didn't do it, he'd cloud up and rain all over you. It changed your life. One of my preacher friends said his mom used to say, if you don't straighten up right now, I'm going to jump down your throat and dance on your liver. And that's kind of how my daddy was. You just get her done right now. It's a different world, but the Bible's still true. Daddies don't, moms and dads don't harass your children. Parents do that when their kids become teenagers too. They harass them rather than parent them. Sometimes I meet parents and they'll say, now, son, why do you want to let your hair look like that? Well, sir, your daddy say, son, get a haircut. You don't need no reason to harass about it. Honey, why do you want to dress like that? That's too short. Why? Don't you know you ought not to dress that way? Come on, honey. Why would you want to wear that? Don't, don't talk to your kid like that. That's your kid. Say to your kid, hey, honey, that's too short. You got to go change. You see, one of them, one of them harasses the child. Like here's a girl, and she's in love, and she's a teenager living in the house, and she's all in love, and she's got a little boyfriend, and daddy didn't like it. And so daddy will say to his daughter, he'll say, uh, Honey, why do you want to date that jerk? Do you know there's no answer to that? None. Honey, come on, why do you want to date that jerk? Don't you know he, he doesn't even have a job, doesn't have a car, doesn't have a brain, doesn't. Honey, why do you want to date that jerk? Did you know there's no answer that'll satisfy that? What if she said, no, Daddy, you just need to get to know him. You got to know him. You'd find out he's really sweet. I know he wears that T-shirt, says kill your parents, but Dad, he doesn't mean that. 
Daddy, just get to know him. Just hang on. See, there's no answer to that because what we're called to do is parent. What you say to a kid, you say you can't do that. You're not dating him. I'll kill him in the name of Jesus. You're not dating him. You're not doing it. You're just not going to do it. Now, I'm being a little silly tonight, but you see what he's trying to say here. Don't harass your children. Bring them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord. Train them, discipline them, teach them, point them to Jesus, and your goal as a parent to do so well. Your goal is to do so well that all the days of your children's life, they serve the Lord, and if you do your job as well as God wants you to do your job, your children will have grandchildren that will serve the Lord as well, and that's God's plan for a church. And it's a tall order, and very few people attain to that, but it ought to be your goal. It ought to be your goal. Want your kids to serve the Lord, don't you? Say, yeah, but Brother Young, it's a hard sermon because my kids are already grown. Well, 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 don't give up. You're still daddy. You're still mommy, and you still have a God on the throne, and you can still pray. So get on your knees and pray. Because I don't know what to do about my son. He's 35, and he's far from God. Pray all night. Get on your knees and pray all night and say, I'm not going to get up until God Almighty moves in that boy's heart or that girl's heart. God's able to answer prayers. Don't you be discouraged. But I'm especially tonight concerned about you that are raising children. Nobody's on your side much today. But you're still called of God to raise children. And here's uh, what we learn in Ephesians is simply this. We, remember, we started in chapter 4 Monday night and chapter 5 on Tuesday night. And what we learned was that if you're going to have a godly family, it starts with you being a godly Christian. You've got to have humility and gentleness and patience. Y'all remember that? And you've got to have love and peace. And you've got you to be honest. And you've got to deal with anger. And, and you've got to have edification in your life. And, and you've got to deal with your issues like bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking. You've got to put that away from you. And you've got to have purity in your life. You've got to be the Christian you're supposed to be. Daddy, I'm going to tell you, it'll be a hard thing for you to raise a godly family if you're not walking with God. If you never read your Bible, you never pray. Your kids never see you read the Bible. They never see you pray with mama. They never hear you pray at the table. I don't mean to be mean, but you won't have a Christian family that way. You can't. You, it's got to start with you. You got to be godly. I'm not making sense tonight. You got to be. You got to be the real deal. It starts with you being the real deal. That's why Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, you ought to master. You've got to control that anger of yours. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. You've got to walk in the power of God. You've got to get rid of that temper. You've got to get rid of that bitterness. You've got to be the real genuine deal as a child of God. If you're not the real deal, don't expect your kids to buy into this Christianity. You've got to be real. It's got to be real in your life. So it starts with you being real, and then you get to chapter 6, and when they see Christianity in you, then you're to go to work to train them so that your children will know God and love God and live for God all the days of their life. Can I give you a wonderful verse of encouragement? Do you have your Bible with you? you have a Bible? Look at one of the most debated verses, but one of the most glorious verses you'll find. Find Proverbs chapter 22, would you? Turn to Proverbs 22, the wisest man that ever lived wrote one verse about raising children that'll bless your heart if you'll learn it and live it. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. How many of y'all know it? Do you know it? You ought to. You ought to know this verse. And here's what the Bible says. You got Proverbs 22, 6? If you got it, say amen. All right, most of you do. Listen to what this verse says. This is Solomon talking about training children. And here's what he says. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me ask you a simple question. 
if the Bible means what it says in this verse, let me back up. If the Bible means what it seems to say in this verse, wouldn't you want that? I'm going to ask that again because some of you didn't answer. If this verse means what it seems to say, wouldn't that be what you'd want? That you'd train your children in such a way that all the days of their life they live for God and serve the Lord? Wouldn't you want that? That's what I want. So let's examine. Now some say, well, now this verse, this verse is just a Proverbs. I heard one guy say, it's just a Proverbs. It's a probability, not a promise. Now that sounded theologically nice, but that's dumb. I don't mean that to be mean. It's just dumb. Because we don't do that with other verses in the Bible. Like the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Train up, uh, let us see, uh, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And you know, usually, generally speaking, he will probably direct thy steps. You wouldn't buy that. If I got up and preached, I know what that verse seems to say. You trust the Lord, you follow the Lord, and he'll direct your life. But you know, you can't believe that. Sometimes that's true, and sometimes that's not true. You wouldn't buy that. You'd be upset at me, and you'd say, man, that preacher's wrong. But we do it with Proverbs 22, 6 all the time. We'll say, I don't know what that verse means, but it apparently doesn't apply to everybody. I've heard that. That's a principle, you know. That's just a, a general principle. It doesn't really mean literally what it seems to say. Well, is that true when the Bible says in Proverbs, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is, you know, generally speaking, not wise. Some people, you know, some people can drink up a storm and it doesn't bother them a bit. But some people get to drink and they're a big old fool. See, you wouldn't buy that. So just take this verse at face value. Here's what the verse says. You train up a child in the way he should go and that'll affect him when he's old. That's what it says. You train. Training works. Now look at this verse. Take it apart. Train is the first word. Then consider the phrase a child. And then catch the way in the way he should go. And then get that last one. So train. Here's the word train. The word train means to dedicate, to aim, to fence, to head in the right direction. So uh, here's how Psalm 127 verse 3 says it. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of his youth. So here's a young daddy, and he goes out hunting. And he's got his bow and arrow, and he puts an arrow in that bow, and he pulls it back, and he aims it at the clock on the back wall. And he releases it. Arrows have this unusual tendency to go in the direction they're aimed. Does that make sense? It'd be a weird thing if I pulled it back and released it, and the arrow went, zoom, and stuck in the ceiling. You said, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. What in the world happened? He was pointing that way, and it went that way. What the Bible is saying is, that doesn't happen. Children tend to go in the way they are aimed. You ever been to Walmart? And you're in Walmart, and here is a child out of control. And you think for crying out loud, that child's a brat. Now he is. But can I let you in a little secret? It's not that kid's fault. He's doing exactly what he's been trained to do. That's what he's doing. He's doing what he's been trained to do. He's allowed to behave that way at home. He's allowed to behave that way at church. He'll behave that way at Walmart. 
You ever gone out to eat? You ever gone out to a restaurant and there's a family sitting beside you and their kids are so well behaved you were shocked? Their kids sat quietly, had no normal conversation, were polite, said thank you, yes ma'am, no ma'am, no sir. And here's what we say. We'll say, man, well, I, I, I've seen this happen. People go by a table and say to mom and dad, I just want you to know you got some good kids. Can I let you know a little secret? No, they don't. Because there ain't no such thing. Are y'all with me on that? There's no such thing as a good kid. You know what kids are going to do if you let them? They're going to go to the dogs. That's what they're going to do. You know why those kids are sitting at that table well-behaved? Because somebody trained them to be. See, training works. And training is, is dedicating, aiming them, aiming them, fencing them. Uh, the idea of, I, was, I grew up on a farm, and on our farm we had these uh, cattle shoots. In fact, I jogged this week, and I went down through the valley here into this where you park all these cars, and I went up the road past those apartments over here, and then I turned left, and I ran up a hill, and I had to walk part of it because it's so steep, and I got to the top, and I ran across this freeway. There's a bridge over that freeway, and I ran over that freeway, and I ran up there for a while, and then I ran back. And when you get just up there by that bridge, there's this little cattle little, I don't know, fenced in area there, and there's a cattle chute right there. And, and, and they'll back a truck up to that cattle chute and get that cow inside that chute, and he's fenced in. She's fenced in. She can't go to the left because there's a fence there. She can't go to the right. Now, she'll try. I was raised on a farm. Those cows, oh, they'll hit that wall. They're wanting out of there. They'll try to jump over it sometimes. But that fence keeps them in. Here, here's, here, here's what the Bible is literally trying to show us in this word train. He's trying to show us that we're to put our children on the path of life and build fences. Now watch this. Your kid's walking through life and somebody's going to say, why don't you try this? And they're going to try. Oh, can't go there. There's a fence there. And, and they're going to go to school. And they're going to have some friends at school going to say, hey, why don't you try? Oh I, oh, I can't go there. There's a fence there. Moms and dads are to be expert fence builders. That's the word training. You got to put up guards in their life. Now, I don't know what yours ought to be. The Bible doesn't give us specifics here. He expects you to use your brain, your Bible, and figure it out and help your kids get on the right path. See, your kids aren't mine. There are some things we had to be more careful about because we're in church every night. In a different church every week. There's things our kids couldn't do, places they, we even had this rule that our, our, our teenagers could never ride in the car with another teenager unless there was an adult there. Just because teenagers get together and get, can I say it, they get dumb. I don't mean that to be mean teens, it's just the way it is, teens are just that way. Especially if it's a guy. Guy's like, yeah, this car will go 180. Another teenager, I bet it won't. Yes, I bet it will. Next thing you know, somebody's going 160. There's got to be an adult there who go, hey, what are you thinking? Which is a dumb question because they ain't thinking. That's the whole problem, right? See, fences in your life. We had this fence in our kid's life. Can't spend the night at anybody else's house. That's just our rule. Now we made exceptions. They can spend the night with grandparents. But kids at church, say, come spend the night with us. No, can't do it. It's, not our, it's against our rules. See, that was our fence. We built a fence in their life. We had fences about the music they could listen to. Movies they could watch, movies they couldn't watch. We had fences about what they wore and what they couldn't wear. Had to be high enough, long enough, full enough. It was just our rule. It's fences, training. 
It's about dedicating, aiming that child in the way he ought to go. And then notice the next phrase, train up, what's the next thing? A child. Now you tell me, why does he use an individual statement there? In the Old Testament, most every family would have had five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten or eleven or twelve or more children. In those days, you had big families. It was a farming mentality. You had big families. Why does the Bible say then, if the Bible is full primarily of big families, then why did Solomon say train up a child? Do you know the answer to that? You know the answer to it? Because every child's different. How many, of you, how many of you have more than one? Do you? How many of you are aware of the fact that every one of your children are unique individuals? Aren't they? The strength of one of your child will not be the strength in the next one. I, I, I didn't really understand this. So we, you know, we had Abby, and uh, then we had Josh. And boy, were they different. And then we had Matthew, and he's different from Abby and Josh. Abby, Abby was industrious. She could get the job done. She'd clean the house, cook the dinner, and make the boys help her. She could get the job done. But she had a weakness. She'd lie to you. In a heartbeat. With a straight face. And you wouldn't know any difference. She was so good at it. Now, here was her strength. She could work circles around everybody else in the family, but she'd lie to you. Then Josh came along. He's the exact opposite. Josh is lazy. He's just fine. He's fine. He's okay. He's no hurry. He's just fine. But he was impeccably honest. If you wanted to know who did it, ask him. Because he's going to flat out tell you. It's like he can't even think otherwise. He's going to tell you, yep, they did it. And they're all like, don't, don't, just don't answer. He can't. He's got to answer. It's just how God made him. Matthew was different than them. Those two were so funny, Abby and Josh. Josh was so honest, sometimes he, he worried me. We were this one pastor. We were in a church one time in Pennsylvania, and it was the weirdest church I'd ever been to. You guys travel. You, you may go to that church one of these days, and you'll remember I said it because you will remember this church if you go there. It was such a weird church. The building was weird. The parking lot was weird. The people were weird. I don't know if you mean. The pastor was weird. The place was just, everything they did was weird. The way they ran the service, we were, honestly, we were up on the front wall. The way they ran the service, I, my mouth was, oh, I was like, what are they going to do next? And I was like, what? 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 what in the world? This is the weirdest church. We've been to a thousand or more churches, and that was the top line of weird churches. That was the top one. Pastor took us out to eat after the service. We're sitting around this big table. He says to my kids, now, young kids, he said, what's the weirdest church you've ever been to? My son, Josh, didn't miss a beat. He paused chewing and said, yours. I about died. I about fell under the table. What in the world? I can't believe he said that. He could have at least been quiet, but no, it was in there. It had to come out. And I, I mean, I was stunned. He is too far away to kick under the table. But if I'd have kicked him, he'd have probably said, Daddy, why are you kicking me under the table? Because that's just how he was. And uh, the pastor made it worse. The pastor laughed, and he goes, no, he said to my kids, really? What's the weirdest church you've ever been to? And Joshua said, no, really, yours. Is it wrong to pray? God help my son to lie at least once in his life. And I felt like praying there for crying out loud. Now, here's the point I'm making. Over here's my Abigail, and man, she's so industrious, she can get the work done, but she lies. So I got to train her. So I got to strengthen her God-given strength. And as a daddy, I got to correct her sin-inherited weakness. Now, over here's my son, Josh. 
He's impeccably honest. That's a strength. I got to strengthen that God-given strength. But he's lazy. I got to correct that sin-inherited weakness. Every one of your children are that way. You ever wonder why sometimes in a family you'll have five kids that just do great and one that doesn't? This is probably why. Because sometimes we as parents, we, we get so busy in the, the busyness of our living that we can overlook. And sometimes there's a weakness in one of our children that, that we're not as bothered by. Because maybe it's our weakness. So we're not as bothered by it, so we're soft on it. And that kid grows up, never took care of that weakness, and that weakness damages him the rest of his life if we're not careful. Thank God God can do a miracle and overcome the failure of a parent. Thank God for that. But unless a child overcomes that through the power of God and his own spiritual growth, he may take that weakness to the grave because mom and dad didn't train him. Do you see what the Bible's trying to say here? My Matthew is totally different than Abby and Josh. Matthew was our strong-willed child. We, we used to say as parents, when we had Abby and Josh, we were doing pretty good. They're doing okay. We say things like this, my kid would never do that. Then we had Matthew. And Matthew did everything we said our kids would never do. And man, we had to overcome that. We, we, didn't, we didn't destroy his strong will, but we had to help that strong will head in the right direction so that it didn't pull him in the wrong direction. A strong will child will be as strong for righteousness if you train him as he is for wickedness if you don't. We had to overcome that. Well, we spanked the daylights out of him. Had to do it again and again and again. And we won. God helped us to win. He did. That's the young man that walked into my house this summer and said, Daddy, Michaela keeps hanging around. She's not saved, and I'm going to start witnessing to her and want her to Jesus. That's the kid. That's the kid. On, we're home. Most Sunday mornings will hit the floor earlier than, than, than his brothers and sisters so he can get a shower and get dressed and run to the church and drive a van to pick up boys and girls from the Truman Arms ghetto area. That's the kid that'll do it. He doesn't do that on his own, but he was trained. Do you know what I'm trying to say tonight, moms and dads? you got to train a child, and here's what the Bible says, in the way he should go. Now, there's all kinds of lessons right there. Apparently, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I did a little word study on that. Pastor said he told me he likes to do word studies. Pastor, the, the, most, the most unusual word study I've ever done is in that passage. Because when the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, literally the Hebrew Bible says, train up a child in the way of his mouth. Now, I thought that's the weirdest thing I've ever read in my life. What in the world is the point of that? So I did some more research, and I found out one of the greatest truths I've learned as a daddy what the Bible teaches right there is that every parent is training our children's appetites. Their mouth is their appetite. A lot of parents today, a lot of parents today are struggling because here's what they've done. In our generation, if we're not careful, we will train our children to have an appetite for the things of the world that have no eternal value to them. I'm going to say this gently. Don't you be offended. I'm just teaching tonight. I'm your friend. I'm not, don't be offended by this. Just think. And ask God to give you wisdom. I see that happen a lot of times with sports. 
A lot of parents give their child an appetite for athletics at the expense of church attendance, character, integrity. Here's what we've been taught in our generation. Well, we've got to have our kids play sports because sports builds character. Then you explain to me why in the United States of America we have so little character. You would think our kids were brilliant with character, as much sports as we have. But it's the most uncharactered generation that's ever lived. Right? So it's not wrong for your kids to play ball. We love sports. We're big football fans. Go Vols. Amen. Come on, help me out here. Go Broncos. We're big football fans. We love football. My son's a Roll Tide fan. Pray for him. He needs revival. I haven't helped him yet that yet. I have failed as a daddy there. I got one son that's an Ohio State fan. Doesn't he need revival too? And I got another son that's a Florida Gators fan. This young man dating my daughter is a Florida Seminoles fan. We're so confused, we don't know who we're for. <laughs> See, I'm not against sports. Moms and dads, you can't give your kids an appetite for the world and bypass an appetite for the things of God. You'll lose them. Your kids, let me ask you a question. Does your kid have an appetite for the Bible? You teach your kids to have devotions? Do they have an appetite for church? Where, 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 where they want to go because church is good and it's a priority in your family. We're going to church. They have an appetite for prayer because they see you pray. They've seen God answer prayer because your family prayed about something and God did it. Do they have an appetite for character and decency because you've trained them that it's worth it and shown it to them in the way you live? You're training your kids' tastes. Their tastes. And here's what the Bible says. It works. The point of Proverbs 22, 6 is it works. Because here's what he says. Train up a child in the way he should go. And you do it. And when he's old, he'll still be going that way. That's what the Bible teaches. And it all rises and falls on one word. Train. I want to challenge you, Mommy and Daddy's tonight, to believe this verse. Train. I want to challenge you, parents of teenagers, to believe this verse. Train. I want to challenge you to believe it, practice it, accept it, go after it, because it works. How many of y'all know somebody? How many of y'all know somebody that they, they, they think like this? I'd never, I wouldn't drive a Ford if you paid me to drive a Ford. How many of y'all know somebody like that? I wouldn't. Now, why do people think that way? I'm going to tell you why. Because they were trained. They had a daddy. He said, bless God, we drive Chevys and this. We wouldn't be found on road dead. Fix or repair daily. You've heard those, they, they feel strongly because daddy trained them to feel strongly. I know families, like we, we got a lot of friends down in, in, in Alabama, and, and Alabama is one of two persuasions, Auburn or Roll Tide. And those two are diametrically opposed. I know people that are so nuts in, in, in their Roll Tide fanatic fan club, they named their son Saban. That's the coach of Roll Tide, if you don't know. Their son is named, they had a dog named Tide. They're, 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 they're oh, I'm over the top. They're kids. They, uh, he's a pastor friend of mine. He lives on the street behind us. And uh, when uh, they were having revival on their church when Alabama played Georgia this year. Monday night, championship game, they were in the middle of revival. And right before the service, I texted him and I said, Pastor Mike, I just want you to know I'm fasting and praying the day that revival will break out and you'll be there all night. He unspiritually texted me back and said, shut up. 
because he wanted to go home and see that game. Now, I mean, a little silly. But why, why, why are some people that? Because they're trained. How I many of y'all know what Balut is? Have you ever know what Balut is? I go to the Philippines. I got a college in the Philippines. I'll go to the Philippines and preach. And they always want me to eat Balut. Oh, brother, you ain't got to try Balut. You got to try Balut. Balut. You know what Balut is? It's an egg. It's got a baby chicken inside it. And they take that, that egg with that baby chicken inside it and boil it and eat it. I mean, they just bite it, just chew it up. Feathers, bones, feet and all. And they're like, come on, brother, you got to try it. I said, me pray about it. Nope, the Lord told me no. <laughs> I didn't have to pray long. The Lord just put that in my heart. I mean, just like that, boom, I heard, I heard the voice of God. No was the answer. I heard it. No. I'm not eating that balloon. Now, how in, the world, how in the world can you have an entire continent of people in Asia eating chicken inside a little boiled egg? Because they were trained. And they said, how many of y'all like Brussels sprouts? Y'all need revival. You know why I don't like Brussels sprouts? Because I was trained. Mama never made me eat those. Those hideous little things. See, now somebody said, well, we like them. I heard Pastor's wife just say they're great. You know why? Because she's trained. You see how simple this is? This is a dumb illustration. But I, you know, I was raised in the South and and Southerners sometimes are a little pig-headed about things. You know what I mean with that, don't you? We, we can feel strongly about stuff that doesn't matter. Is that okay to say? Like, uh, I, I was trained in the South. I was trained to hate General Sherman. He, he burned the South. We hate, we hate, we hate we're, we're anti-General Sherman. We hate him. He's been dead for over 100 years. I wouldn't know him if he walked in this building. But I don't like him. Just trained to hate him. I wouldn't name my dog Sherman. I wouldn't drive a Sherman tank. I wouldn't live in Lancaster, Ohio, because that's where he was born. He said, come on, but he says, it's kind of silly, isn't it? But I was, tra- I was trained. He's a bad man. I wouldn't live in Lancaster. There's a statue in the downtown of General Sherman, and he's a bad man. He was wrong. He was wicked. He was ungodly. I was trained. Do you see how simple that is? Our family was in California. I was preaching in California. Took my family. We drove all the way across the country in a van and, and stayed in all kinds of places. And I preached. We had a good time. And one day we went up in California to the Sequoia National Park. We drove probably four and a half hours, didn't we? Wound up through the mountains and saw big trees, you know. And, and we were driving up to one certain place. The world's the second largest sequoia tree in the world is in that park. And you get to the park and you park and you hike out through the woods to where you get to it. And then there's a ravine. You can go down and see how tall that tree is and get, I mean, you can get the whole picture. We drove all the way there, pulled into the parking lot. And that's when I discovered that that tree is called the General Sherman tree. <laughs> and you want to know what we did? We put that van in reverse and left. Didn't we, Bethany? Didn't we? Yes, we did. Said to my kids, I'm sorry, but you can't see that tree. We drove back out of there four and a half hours. Now somebody said, but you know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I know. But I was trained, okay? I was trained. Now, here, I, I'm, a little, I'm going a little overboard tonight, but I'm telling you it works. Training impacts the lives of your children. So you better do a good job. You better train them to obey. 
That was in our text tonight. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Train your children to obey. That's your number one priority. It's more important than they're getting saved. You know why? Because it precedes their getting saved. It precedes. Before your kid will ever get saved, they've got to learn obedience. And you're supposed to train them. Obedience is simple. Do what you're told. Do it first. Do it fast. Do it with a happy face. First time I speak, you do it. Get on it right away. Get her done. And be happy about it. We say to our kids, you better get a happy face right now. It was my Matthew that would go. I'd give him credit for trying. Happy face. You're going to be happy. You're going to obey God first. And, you're going to obey Daddy first and fast. And, and, and you've got to be, you're the parent. You, you even can check up how you're doing. I hate this one. But you can check up how you're doing. You can say to your kids, you can say, uh, hey, son, it's time to go to bed. Clean up your room. Say it one time. And then sit back and see what happens. Here's what we do in our generation. Hey, how many times have I told you to clean up your room? See what you're training your kids to do? You're training your kids to wait till you are red in the face and your blood pressure is about to explode. Then they'll obey. God doesn't want your kids to be like that. God wants you to train. Train them to be obedient. How do you do it? Well, number one, you make rules. Read through Proverbs. You'll find Solomon saying all the time this kind of stuff. My son, obey the laws of your daddy. My son, obey the rules of your mom. Obey your daddy's commands. Obey your mama's rules. Obey your mama's laws. Obey, son. Pay attention to your mama's rules, your daddy's laws. Pay attention, son. You'll find that over. There's a lesson there. Moms and dads, we got to make laws. Your kids got to know the rules. Make the rules. We obey first. That's a rule. Make it a rule. When you're done eating, you don't jump up from the table. You say, may I be excused? Make it a rule. If that's important to you, make it a rule. You have to say, thank you, Mama, and I love you. Rule. We, we have a rule. You don't run in church. Just a rule of ours. Because there's older people at church sometimes, and a kid comes running through. They're just being a kid. They can run over to older people and hurt them. Older person. The other night, didn't fellowship in time, right here in this auditorium. Fellowshipping, handshaking time. Coming on this side, I was my little girl. I don't know what she was doing over here. She went over here to say hi to somebody. My little charity's nine years old, and she came around the corner right here, and she winked at me. It was adorable. And then she went tearing across like this. And her mama right there went. She came to a screeching halt. And she walked on. Now, see, it's just a rule. Your kids can't obey if you don't have a rule. You start by making rules. Now, you don't have to, be, you don't have to, be, you don't have to make rules about everything. Thou mayest not as spillest milk. Now, that's a dumb one because you spill milk. That's an accident. But you make rules about things. You're going to tell the truth. Make that a rule. When mama speaks, you're going to hop to it. You're going to show respect. Make rules and enforce them. You don't enforce the rules of no value. A rule that's not enforced is of no value. Our son's in Bible college. I probably shouldn't tell these. He'd kill me. Our son's in Bible college. And uh, they have a report they're supposed to turn every money, just a piece of paper, and it's a little report about their soul winning and their Bible reading, that kind of stuff. And uh, six times he's failed to turn it in this semester. Now, he's busy. He works 30, 40 hours a week sometimes, takes a full load of classes. Plus, he's dating. He's busy. He did everything on it. 
even filled them out but didn't turn them in. He's got the reports. He didn't turn them in. And he got called on it this week. They called him in this week and said, Joshua, why didn't you turn in your focus reports? Oh, he said, I've been busy and I forgot. I got them. I just forgot. So he, I guess he turned them in. But the man in charge of the students said, Josh, you know, we have rules here. And the rule is if you don't turn in a focus report, that's 15 demerits. And if you multiply that t- times six, that's 75 demerits. And 75 demerits in this school means you get campused for 10 days, which means two things. You can't leave the campus and you can't date. So for 10 days, he can't hang out with his girlfriend. For 10 days, he can't even go to Walmart. He has to get his sister to go to Walmart for him. He can't leave the campus. Now, you know what? I got to hand it to West Coast Baptist College. They got a rule, and they're following through. See, that doesn't bother me. I got some parents say, oh, for crying out loud, it was just a little piece of paper. No, rules are meant to be enforced. You have a rule? Enforce it. And then, then here's, the, here's, here's one more point for you. If you're going to train obedience, have rules, enforce them, and correct them when they fail. Don't miss that one. That's a hard one for our generation because our generation doesn't believe in that. Our generation says, well, now don't, don't you be offended by this. I won't preach to you. Our generation says, well, you know, they have ADHD. Well, he has ADD. Let me tell you something. Your child may have ADHD, but you know what that means? That means you've got to work harder to train them. Here's what our generation does. Our generation says, oh, my word, they have ADHD. There's nothing we can do about that. That's just how they are. That's just how they are. We just got, they just have ADHD. Just, that's just how they are. I think I had ADHD. My dad didn't know it, so he just whipped me. And I'm being a little silly, but it was the truth. So what? He had ADHD. Train him. So she may have ADD, but you've got to train her. You don't want her to grow up and her marriage fall apart because you failed to train her because she had a little ADHD. She's still got to learn. It's going to be harder. I think our Matthew has ADHD. I don't doubt that a bit. Which means we had to work twice as hard on him as we did the other kids. I spent more time training that kid than I did any one of my other kids. And sometimes I felt like I spent more time training him than I did all the other four combined. But it worked. He still got boundless energy. He still, he, he still, he does. Well, the reason he runs because I got tired of all that energy. So they put those running shoes on, hit the pavement. He left this parking lot this afternoon, ran down that valley, ran up that mountain that I walked up, went a mile past the freeway over there up here on this ridge, and ran all the way back, came in soaked to the bone and loved every minute of it. He's vibrating. But that was great. And I'm thinking, you are weird. <laughs> See, you got to train moms and dads. And, and, and you got to correct. you got to correct. Your children are small. There's two ways you correct according to the Bible. You reprove them, you spank them. I don't mean this to be mean. Don't, don't be bothered about the idea of spanking. Everybody did it 20 years ago. Even the public school. My public school teacher, first grade, Mrs. Buxton, Lined us all the entire first grade up three times and spanked everybody in the first grade in a public school in America. Three times. Three times lined the whole first grade up and paddled every one of us. Everybody did it back then. By the way, there's a Democratic president, Jimmy Carter. 
That school was paid for by tax dollars. And she spanked every one of us. See, our generation said, oh, you can't spank a child. Our forefathers did, and it worked. And here's why today people think you can't spank a child. They think it's abuse. And, and sometimes it is, because our generation doesn't know how to train. Our, child, our generation slaps on a child. That's not, that's, not, that's not correction biblically. When you're so mad, you're falling off the handle, and you're just flailing on a child. You're just wailing on that child. You're just mad. You're not training. That's different. Here's, here's, what, here's what biblical spanking looks like. Biblical spanking has a rule that's been broken. And nobody's mad. You're training. Say, son, come here. How many times have I asked you not to run in church? Have I asked you several times to stop? And you haven't done it. You're not obeying. I've reproved you as many times as I know how, but you won't do it. Now, you can have mercy if you want to. You could say the next time, if it happens again, I'm going to spank you. Is that understood? And here's what we do. Let's pray about it. Lord, help my child to obey, to do right, be a godly kid. Amen. So they do it again. What would you say? I'm going to spank you. You're not mad. You're training. Say, come here, son. Did you run in the church? What did I tell you I would do if you did? You said you would spank me. My dad used to say this. Son, look at me. Am I a liar? Now, you can't answer that question. I bet he does lie sometimes, but you can't point that out. I mean, he's a sinner just like anybody else. Can I get an amen here? But the answer to that question is, no, sir. You are not a liar. My dad would say this. Son, I'm going to help you to remember that when I speak, I mean it. And I'm going to spank you. And my dad would take an object that was flexible enough to sting like all get out, but flexible enough to do no damage. And he'd spank your backside. We practice it in our family. Somebody says, yeah, but every time our kids go to the doctor, they ask, do you get a spanking? Why don't they take my kid? Find another doctor. Find yourself a Christian doctor that allows you to train your children the Bible way. So yeah, but my kids go to public school. Well, then you've got to be wise about that. But I know parents that have pulled their kids out of a public school so they can train them, at least while they're younger. Pull your kid out if you have to. Train them at home. We've educated our kids all the way through at home, and they're doing fine. We've got one graduate from college in a few days. All three of my kids have had jobs and do well at them, make a good living. My three older ones. You got a spank. Mommy and Daddy, it's not because you're mad. If you're mad, you're not disciplining. You're just mad. If you don't know how to do it, get yourself a flexible object and make a rule and say, if you break that rule, I'm going to have to punish you. And when they break the rule, set them down. And, and, and the idea is you spank while they're young. You don't, you don't need to spank your teenager. Your teenager's a man. By the time my kids are 12 years old, I want to be done spanking. Maybe at the time they're 10. You're, 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 you're grown now. I've trained you. Now, let's, let's, now I can train you by reproof. Now I can give you a look and you'll straighten up. 
You don't need to be concerned. Teenagers ought to be, you ought to be discipling a teenager to live for Jesus, not learning obedience. They better learn that when they're one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven or eight. Then you're done training this. You're done. So you're talking about smaller children here. Stand them between your legs. Lean them over this way if you're right-handed and have mama hold their hands. Take this arm, put it across their lower back. Pull your legs together, which protects the tender portions on the backside of the leg. Those mark easily. When I was a kid, nobody cared. My dad take a switch and wear us out, and you get a mark and leg, go to school and brag about it. Go, my, my, my stripes are bigger than yours. My parents love me more than your parents love you. That's just how we thought back then. People don't think that way today. Put that arm around there, bring those legs together. There's a portion left over right here. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down? Take your flexible object and spank their behind. And there's what you do, Daddy. Mommy, you pray with them. You have them pray. God, I'm sorry I disobeyed. I only disobeyed my daddy. I disobeyed you. Will you forgive me, Lord? And then, Daddy, Mommy, you pray with them. Lord, help my son, my daughter, to be godly. And then here's what we do. We're done. It's over. It's over. I'm bringing it up again. It's over. I don't run in church anymore. Yes, sir. Kids are so smart. You do it well. You won't have to spank that often. If you mean it, and they know you mean it, you'll have kids that will obey. Train your kids to be saved. Teach them the gospel. Train your kids to serve Jesus. Make sure they're in church with a Bible in their hand taking notes. Make it a rule in your family. We sing at church. When they're singing, we sing. Daddy, don't expect your kids to sing if you don't. Say, well, I'm not much of a singer. Well, do the best you can, but you ought to open your mouth and sing because you're commanded to in the Bible. If you don't sing, you're disobedient to God. The Bible says we're to sing unto the Lord a new song. We're to worship the Lord in singing. We're to sing and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. Singing is important for God's people. So singing, say to you, we have a rule in our family. We're in church, you sing. Sometimes I'll look down, the boys are, you know, they're in their nothing box. They're just there. And I'll be like, hey. Like, oh, yes, sir. And they'll start singing. Because it's our rule. Sing. Train your kids to serve the Lord. Train your kids to be a success in life. But notice that's at the bottom of my totem pole. I want my kids to be obedient because if they learn obedient, they'll be fine when they get a job and the boss says, be here at 6 a.m. Yes, sir, I'll be here at 6 a.m. The boss says, let my kids work at Chick-fil-A and Chick-fil-A has this saying, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. My kids learn that. You don't lean, you get busy, you clean, you clean, you clean. You got time to lean, you got time to clean. And the boss says it and my kids hop on it. Why? Because when they were four, five, six, and seven, they were taught to obey authority. You know what they do? I keep telling my kids this all the time. We obey the law. We obey the law. I know this sounds weird. We try to drive the speed limit. Just because it's the law, might as well. Tell you one thing, you're driving 55 and a 55 and you see a policeman sitting on the side of the road, doesn't phase you a bit. Wave at him as you go by. Pray for him. Do you see how obedience works? Mommy and Daddy, I want to tell you something. If you don't train your children to obey, their boss will by handing them a pink slip. If you don't train your kids to obey, a policeman will by handing them a ticket. You don't train your kids to obey, the judge may. 
by calling it guilty and passing a sentence. Mom and dad, you're to bypass all of that by training. Obedience, train them to be saved. You, you church, is this okay for me to tell you? And I got to close. Don't be afraid to get your kids saved when they're children. It's okay. God saves children. Believe in it. Promote it. Encourage it. Win children to Jesus. Win your boys and girls. Grandparents, your grandkids aren't saved. Win them to Jesus. Have them over at your house and read the Bible to them. Give them the gospel. Train them to serve the Lord. And train them to succeed in life. Daddy, you've got to train your son to work. Get him off that video game. It's not wrong to play a video game. But train him to work. Get train him to work. Don't you hire somebody to mow your yard? You've got a son. Don't, don't, you, don't be so hasty to use the dishwasher if you've got children. They've got to learn to work. I, I never pay somebody to change a tire on my vehicle. I had one go flat. Now I know California Florida recently. Or in Orlando Lakes, Florida, my tire went flat. I was by myself. Had to get out in rain, take that tire off, put the little other, you know, tire on, throw that tire that had gone flat in the back of my van. I drove it down to the little tire shop and said, you guys take care of that tire for me. Guy took it. Oh, he said, you got a big old nail in here. And he pulled that nail out and plugged that tire and got it back together. And he said, you want me to throw it on for you? I said, no, sir. He said, well, good heavens, why not? I said, because I got boys. We were staying at a missions house on a church property, and I drove over there and said, boys, I had a flat tire. I got a spare on that back driver's side tire. I want you to go out there and put that, take that new one, take it out of the back, get the track jack out and jack that thing up and break those lug nuts off and put that new tire on. Why? Because I'm training. You know I know how to drive a tractor. You know, how I know, you know why I know how to drive a tractor? Because I had a daddy taught me. I can back a hay wagon, double axle hay wagon. People say, how do you back that big old fifth wheel? <laughs> That's easy compared to those hay wagons I backed. I can, put that, I can put that fifth wheel about anywhere. I can back that baby. I know how to do it. I've, done it. I've backed a hay wagon. It's my daddy taught me. I learned driving when I was 11. It's my daddy taught me. I, 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 know, I know how to plant a garden because my daddy taught me. I know how to keep weeds out of it too because my daddy taught me. I know how to do dishes because my mama taught me. Moms and dads, I am telling you, training is your responsibility when it comes to your children. You got teenagers, be training them. I said to my son the other day, he's 18, just turned 18. Matthew, I said, I'm going to give you an iPhone. It's your first one. I'm going to give you a smartphone. Son, you know there's a lot of garbage on this smartphone. And uh, your daddy's done all he could do to protect you. We've paid for covenant eyes. We've got a filter on our internet here at the house. But I want to challenge you to rise up and be a man on your own now. I'm still going to watch over you. But I want you to start doing it on your own. I want you to go overboard. To be pure and godly now that you're 18 on your own. On your own. I'll check up on you. We'll pray together. We'll talk about it. But I want to see you doing it on your own. Will you do it? He said, yes, sir, I will. Yes, sir, I will. My wife called me a few weeks ago. They were in Ohio at a wedding. And she said, uh, Matthew is watching a lot of videos by this guy named, it was Dr. We uh, Weiss, wasn't it? And she said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, he's a, he's a Christian psychologist who counsels purity. I said, ask him why. 
So she said to Matthew, why are you, why are you watching this? He said, because Daddy said I, I needed to, you know, have my own standards. And so I decided I would listen to all of Dr. Weiss's sermons on YouTube so that I'd have some tools to do right on my own. Listen, I want to tell you, Mom, that's it's your goal. Don't you look at me and think, well, I don't have that because I'm not like you and I haven't studied. Listen, listen, we're all, in it. We're all working on this. It's a hard job to raise a family. It takes a ton of work and a ton of prayer. You could at least do this, couldn't you? Every day, couldn't you get on your knees and cry out to God for your kids and grandkids? Start here. Pray up a storm for God to help your home. Cry out to God. Pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. And get off your knees and go to work to reach your children for Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, you'll be glad you did. Well, my goodness, I preached too long. Say amen. You know I did. I did. I preached too long. There's no doubt I did. But you've been a good audience. How many parents in the building tonight? Can I see your hand? How many parents in the building tonight? How many of you have a kid that's not yet saved, as far as you know? Anybody like that? Let me see your hand. Several of you around the building. How many of you, some are older, some are younger. How many of you have a son or daughter that you feel like you need to do some work on yet? Anybody like that? I'm going to raise my hand on that one. Uh, You know what we ought to do before we go? We ought to have an old-fashioned altar call, and we ought to get on our knees and say, God, help my sons, my daughters, my grandsons, my granddaughters. And we ought to say, oh, God, help me. Help me. Would you kneel for prayer if I invited you to do so? Would you kneel for prayer? Come on, sweetheart, play, play a hymn for us. And don't even wait. Don't even wait. Just get up and come on, would you? Would you make an altar tonight before we go? And would you pray for your kids and your grandkids? And would you ask Almighty God to do a miracle in your home? Would you pray that your grandkids would turn out well? Would you cry out to God for those who need to be saved? Would you, would you just talk to God about, about your family? Would you do it? If you're in the building, but you don't know that you're going to heaven, you don't know Jesus. Would you believe on Jesus tonight and be saved? Is there a young lady in this building who needs Jesus in your life? You know you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. Would you ask Jesus to come into your life tonight and save you? Son, would you do it? Don't be discouraged, parents. Start where you are tonight and let God bring healing to your home. Why, son, you're going to have a family of your own someday. You ought to pray God will help you to learn these truths now. Cry out to God. When you're done praying, stand. That's how I'll know you're done. It's like that. When you're done praying, stand. Mm, come home.
earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Several are still praying. Would you just stay in a spirit of prayer for just a moment?